Today's episode is presented by Clark's. Clark's story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At the time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that's remained at the heart of what Clark does. From the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what sets Clark's apart. We are teaming up with Clark's and Podgo to bring you up to 30% off on select items, including the iconic Clark's Desert Boot, by going to podgo.co slash Clark's. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O slash C-L-A-R-K-S. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another lovely Sunday. Mm-hmm. But actually isn't terribly freezing. Yeah. You can actually... Uh, Go outside and not worry about the moisture freezing to your nose hairs two seconds after yeah. stepping out. So, yeah. or like, how long can I be out here before my nose falls off? Yeah. Because <laughs> my dog takes forever to poop. Before we start with this week's topic, I wanted to give a special shout out to one of our youngest listeners, Warner. Hi, Warner. He is a big fan of the show and one of our biggest supporters. So I wanted to say special hello to Warner. Hi, Warner. Thank you for listening. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And today's topic was requested by Carol. And it is on the practice of wife selling. Oh, man, Carol, you did good. Yeah. Wife selling? Yep. This is about to get dark, isn't it? No, it's not really dark. Okay. This is you'll kind of see, you'll kind of see. It's going to be okay. very similar to our um animal trials type of episode. Oh, no. All right, I'm ready for it. All right. Information was pulled from the following sources: a 2020 Bradford Museums article by Heather Millard, a 2019 Atlas Obscura article by Zara Stone. 2019 Today I Found Out article by Davin Hiskey, 2018 History article by Aaron Blakemore, 2017 All That's Interesting article by Chrissy Howard, 2017 History Daily article, 2016 The Vintage News article by Goran Blazeski, 2015 Journal of Victorian Culture article by Lauren Paget, Dusty Old Thing article by Rose <laughs> Heichelbeck, and Wikipedia. Ooh. Good old Wikipedia. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. My body is ready. I love that unicorn stein. Yeah. For coffee. I know. (laughs) It's a handcrafted stein from the 1982 Minnesota Renaissance Festival. And it's got a unicorn on it. I bought it at a Goodwill for Thomas for his birthday. Because he's an 82 baby and he Mm -hmm. didn't like it. So I drink from it. (laughs) I like unicorns. (laughs) I like unicorns. It's mine. Coffee mugs. So it's mine. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I'll post a picture of it on social. It's pretty cool. They did a good job in 82. Mm -hmm. So in the 18th and 19th centuries in England, wives were quote unquote sold with payments, quote, as low as a bullpup which is a rifle, and a quarter of rum. I'm sorry. You could buy a wife with a rifle? And a quarter of rum. Oh, you had to include the rum with the gun. Yep. (laughs) Okay. All right. Good start. All right. To as much as 40 pounds, which is 5,400 pounds today, and a supper. Dinner as well. You couldn't just have the money. Money and a meal. Yep. Got it. As reported by the Northeastern Daily Gazette in 1887, and the practice was most popular in the 1820s and 1830s, 
but it is noted to have taken place as early as the 11th and 12th centuries in 1553. Yep. Wow. So it's been going on for thousands of years at that, or hundreds of years at that point. Hundreds of years at that point, yep. Thousands. Eons. (laughs) Since the dawn of man. I'll give you this pelt for your wife. Those tadpoles were like trading up. I like the way your wife's uh, scales glisten more than mine. Yeah. I will trade you this kelp for your wife. <laughs> so why was this practice even a thing? Women aren't real. <laughs> or human or worth anything. Just kidding. We're worth it. We're worth a rifle and a, <laughs> a shot. Pretty much. <laughs> so divorce in the 18th and 19th centuries was expensive business. I bet. And also something that required conditions in order to be granted. This wasn't such a big deal prior to the introduction of the Marriage Act of 1753, because until that point, the law didn't require formal wedding ceremonies, which meant that Hmm. legally in the eyes of the law, your marriage was little more than a verbal agreement, even though the man still retained control of the woman's assets. Interesting. So, like, you could just tell somebody that they were married and it would be true. Yep. Before before the Marriage Act. Yep. You didn't have to fill out any paperwork saying, I so-and-so take so-and-so. Huh. You'd be like, that's my wife. <laughs> that's my wife, sir. That's my wife. I don't know you. At that time, both parties still had to agree to the union. And the legal age of consent was 12 for girls. No. And 14 for boys. Also, no. <laughs> With the understanding that the couple would become legal entities known as a coverture. So that was the na- that was the name of them legally becoming one entity and sharing property. That's what that term Instead means. Instead of marriage, it yeah. was called a coverture. Yeah. Okay. It should be noted that during this time, women and children were viewed as property, which will become mm-hmm. important later on. Yep. That checks out. In 1857, British Parliament created the Matrimonial Causes Act, which allowed divorces if they met specific requirements. Husbands could be granted a divorce, but only if they had proof of their wives' infidelity, while women had an even harder task because they had to prove their husband's incestuous or abusive behavior. Yeah, I remember it being way more difficult for the woman to divorce the man. Yeah. And it being fairly easy. Yeah. man to divorce the wife. One funny thing to note is that a woman could request a divorce in court if her husband couldn't, quote unquote, get it up in bed or basically perform his husbandly duties. Interesting. So that's what they call husbandly duties. Yep. Okay. And in some insane instances, the couple had to try and copulate in court so the wife could back up her claims of her husband's impotence. <laughs> okay. I hope that was a closed court date. Kind of like how in the monarchy, whenever a king and queen were married, like the royal court would would watch them their first night together to make sure they actually sealed the deal. Yeah. Which is disgusting. Honestly, even if even if he was able to, how could he be able to in front of a court unless, you know, he was into that sort of thing? Yeah. That would be so difficult. I can't imagine. Yeah. Prior to this, the only options for divorce were to appeal to the church for separation, mens et thoro, which means from bed and board, on the grounds of adultery or physical abuse, even though the marriage wouldn't be ended. Oh. So you could separate, but you'd still be legally married in the eyes of the church. Oh, that would be awful. Because what if you left an abusive relationship and wanted to remarry again? You couldn't marry in the church. And because of the marriage act, you couldn't just be like, that's my husband now. Yep. I pick this one. Yep. (laughs) You could also appeal to the government for an act of parliament, which was very costly. Or you could just plain old desert your spouse. I feel like that was the most common This was a horrible option for women because they would Mm -hmm. often be left destitute. With children. And middle class couples could try for a private separation with the stipulation that the ex-husband had to still send some money to his ex-wife so she wouldn't be left completely poor. That was the beginning of child support. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Or alimony. Isn't it like the, the general term is alimony? Yeah. Even if they did separate without some form of quote unquote legal proceedings, the husband could always come back and extort payment from his wife's lover for committing adultery. What? Something that no woman would ever be able to contest in a court of law as women weren't allowed to sue their husbands. Perfect. Awesome. The 1857 Matrimonial Causes Act was supposed to be the answer to this problem. Unfortunately, it was still too expensive for the majority of people at the time, hence the introduction of wife selling as an easy alternative to divorce. Is this like the reality TV show Wife Swap, only more permanent? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. So a legal divorce could cost anywhere from 40 to 60 pounds or 4,600 to 7,000 pounds today. I, I don't know anybody who just has that money readily yep. available. Which was outrageous given that working women of the time on average made only 17 pounds a year or around 2,000 pounds. So they made it impossible almost on purpose or on purpose. Yes. Yeah. The practice of alcohol being used in business dealings was a common one, with working class men such as laborers and farmers often sealing contracts with a pint of beer and a handshake. So the act of drinking together for both parties' success became synonymous with the finalization of a deal. That makes sense, because we still do that oftentimes, like even if you start a new job or something. You celebrate by going out to drink. They want to take you out to dinner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Having a drink. At the time, it wasn't so much viewed as a sale, as in the case of slavery, but as a way for unhappy couples to separate and remarry without the stigma of bigamy. The understanding was that the woman would remarry the man she was being sold to, allowing her ex-husband the freedom to do the same. Okay. Nine times out of ten, this was a choice that was made willingly by all parties. Usually, the woman was sold to a man that she was already in love with or who already loved her. Okay, so 90% success rate, essentially. It was only in very rare circumstances that the wife was sold to someone she did not love or was not interested in being in a relationship with. In fact, the sales often had to be approved by the women. And it's been noted of the 218 documented wife sales that took place between 1760 and 1880, there were at least 40 cases where the woman was sold to an existing lover and only four cases where the sale wasn't consensual. That's pretty good, but I still really hate that those other cases even exist. Yeah. So of these cases, 42 took place between 1760 and 1800. Mm -hmm. 121 took place between 1800 and 1840. And then another 55 took place between 1840 and 1880 when the practice was generally phased out entirely. Okay, so it never officially was done. People just stopped doing it. Yep. Okay. And many wives also had the option to veto the buyer, which is, you know, a small mercy, all things considered. Yeah. Considering they were property and not people. Yep. So you may still be thinking to yourself, well, it's not really divorce. They're still legally (sighs) married. Yeah. But that's the thing. People viewed this practice as legally binding, even though in the eyes of the law, it wasn't. Hmm. The Law Quarterly Review noted in an article that was published on the matter in 1929. I know it's after 1900, (laughs) but it has to do with something in the 1800s. So it's it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Quote, the great majority of those who took part in wife selling seem to have had no doubt that what they did was lawful and even conferred legal rights and exemptions. They were far from realizing that their transaction was an utter nullity, still less that it was an actual crime and made them indictable for a conspiracy to bring about an adultery. End quote. Mm, So it still wasn't officially viewed as a lawful agreement. Correct. But because it was so common in the culture, people just kind of ignored that little huge step. Yep. Okay. So given that this was in fact illegal, it probably won't surprise you that people were punished in a court of law for this practice, such as the case of Betsy Wardle. What's her last name? Wardle. 
That's such a cute name. I like it. Betsy Wardle. Wardle. Reminds me of like uh, Squirtle and War Tortle. Yep. War Tortle. Wardle. <laughs> Wardle. It's a Pokemon. <laughs> Ye old Pokemon. <laughs> it's a demon. <laughs> Throw a ball at it. No. <laughs> Just a rock that was made <laughs> And that's why we no longer have Pokemon. Oh, we just stoned them all on accident. Stoned them all to death. <laughs> In 1882, Betsy's husband sold her to a man named George Chisnell for a pint of beer. <gasps> Only one thing. Only one. Uh-oh. Okay. Betsy married George, who had been her lover prior to this arrangement. The pair got married, and soon after, Betsy was arrested on the charge of bigamy and taken to Liverpool Crown Court to stand trial. Okay. Betsy's landlady, a woman named Alice Rosley, gave testimony at her trial, stating that she was aware of the arrangement and believed it was legally okay for her to offer lodging to the couple. Because at that time, I guess it was also frowned upon to, like, rent to couples who practice bigamy? Like, well, that would make sense. That would make sense. And especially during like this is the close to the Victorian. Yeah, this is like the Victorian era. Yeah. So that makes sense because they were way more prudish. Yeah. Then. But why is she being punished if she is if she thought that they were? She wasn't. She was just saying, you oh, know, she testified against them. Like, I thought they were real. <laughs> yeah, like she thought their arrangement was legally binding. She didn't think that she was committing adultery or she wouldn't have like rented to her. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. They really believed that that was yeah. almost law. Mm-hmm. Justice Denman thought otherwise, going as far as stating, quote, men have no right to sell their wives for a quart of beer or for anything else, end quote. And he sentenced Betsy to a week of hard labor for her crimes. I'm sorry, but why are we punishing the woman right. if it's the man that did the crime, technically? Mm-hmm. Like, no man should be able to, to do this to this poor woman. Woman, hard labor. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Instead of but, a just, but the, just for a week, it's fine. <laughs> instead of a pat on the back, you get a kick in the ass. Cool. Yeah. Suck it up, Betsy. Thanks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. For the most part, clergy and government officials both turned a blind eye to the practice. That makes sense. There was, however, an instance of a magistrate ordering police to break up a wife auction in 1818. This was noted by Rene Martin Pillett, who was there and later wrote about the event in his book, Views of England. And this is I'm going to read an excerpt from what he wrote. OK, but this was an auction. Yes. Of women. Yes. So this was several men going to like an actual auction place to sell their wives to other men. Cool. So this was like public human trafficking, mm-hmm. semi-legal human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Got it. Quote, in regard to the sale at Ashburn, I will remark that the magistrate being informed that it would take place wished to prevent it. Constables were dispatched to drive off the seller, purchaser, and the woman for sale when they should make their appearance in the marketplace to perform the ceremony. But the populace covered the constables with mud and dispersed them with stones. What? They were pissed. (laughs) I was acquainted with the magistrate and I desired to obtain some information in regard to the opposition he had endeavored to make to the performance of the ceremony and the right which he assumed at that conjuncture. I could obtain no other than this. Although the real object of my sending the constables was to prevent the scandalous sale, the apparent motive was that of keeping the peace, which people coming to the market in a sort of tumult would have a tendency to disturb. Hmm. As to the act of selling itself, I do not think I have a right to prevent it or even to oppose any obstacle to it because it rests upon a custom preserved by the people of which perhaps it would be dangerous to deprive them by any law for that purpose. End quote. So he he was just like, I just don't want crowds there. He was just like, I just want to make sure everybody's going to be okay. That there's not going to be any crazy shenanigans. Yeah. And then they stoned him and threw mud at him. They threw Well, his constables, not him per se, oh. but like. Yeah. They were like, get out of here, guys. Yeah. The actual quote unquote sales themselves were to no one's surprise, completely misogynistic and downright insulting to the women in question. Yeah. Like. A glass of beer? Yeah. Not even a gun, too? Like, screw you, man. Yep. 
Some sales were contingent on the fact that the woman was supposedly barren. Awesome. Or that she was too naggy. So the husbands Great. wanted to basically trade up for a younger and more submissive wife. Perfect. However, the women had to agree to the sale taking place. Otherwise, it was not allowed to proceed. So they couldn't forcibly sell their wives without the wives' consent. I mean, it sounds good, but you know that they probably had many ways to force consent. Maybe, yeah. You know. In some instances, the women would be shown off basically as if being sold like livestock. Some even peddled off in places like Smithfield Market in London, which was a bustling area in the city. In fact, women were often led around by a ribbon or rope around their neck, waist, or arm as if they were taken to be sold, just like actual livestock, with the husband registering her for sale and putting her on the auction block. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know why you would ever really, truly consent to that. Like that part of the pageantry of selling. Like you must really love the other person that's going to buy you. Yeah. Because you're essentially being humiliated in a very busy area. In a very public way. Yeah. 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 There were cases where the sale was more private and the wife was sold off to her lover. But in instances where this wasn't the case, they would be taken to a more public venue and auctioned off to the highest bidder, which could include total strangers and also be a bit of a crapshoot since there would be no guarantee that the person she would be sold to would be any better than the person she was previously married to. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, is there a guarantee that the person you really, truly love that you want to buy you will actually be able to buy you at the auction? What if they do only have a glass of beer and the guy next to him has, you know, 50 pounds? Well, you know, as I stated previously, no sales could be finalized without the woman's consent. Okay. And so the woman could be like, no, I don't like what you're trying to buy me for. I want what that guy wants to buy me for. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Makes it a little, little bit better. Yeah. If you squint real hard at it. <laughs> right. This mud is slightly nicer. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't stick quite as much. It should be noted that even if the sale was public, chances are that the sale had already been agreed upon in private, and the act of taking part in an auction was to verify this sale in front of witnesses, almost okay. as if it was a legally binding marriage ceremony. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. Some of these sales would even be announced in the local paper to symbolize the annulment to a broader audience. So they were basically just like smaller ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Almost like the. Um, like a commitment ceremony, mm-hmm. only like shadier. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. So in addition to this dissolution of their marriage, this also nullified the previous husband's legal rights to any of his former wife's possessions, which would then be transferred over to her new husband. And the fact that this sale was often done publicly would also act as a sort of checks and balance, should her previous husband try to renege on this and continue to claim ownership of her property. That makes sense. If the marriage was particularly bitter, public humiliation of the wife could play a part in her sale. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. With the husband going so far as to announce her weight or to barter her off like a cow. Awesome. Most of the time, however, the sale would be in everyone's best interests and all parties involved would settle down for a drink after the conclusion of the sale. So all three of them (laughs) would just go and have like a drink together. Like, hey, this is great. Thanks, guys. Weird. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're all friends. We're all friends here. And it's believed that even though this practice was widely known, it was rarely conducted as as police would often try to break up any sales because contrary to what the public believed, they were in fact illegal. Yeah. Some historians, such as Lawrence Stone, noted that fake sales would be advertised in newspapers to throw police off the scent. Oh, funny. So they'd be like, oh, there's going to be a wife sale over on such and such street when really it'd be like across town or across town or something. Yeah. Sales could also be canceled or just fall through, such as a case that took place in November of 1858. Hartley Teasley, who was also... Noted in like a few papers as Hartley Thompson. So I'm not quite sure what his actual last name was. Okay. He tried to sell his wife, Martha, twice. 
She was sold on Saturday, November 20th for 15 shillings or about 60 pounds today in a beer house. But apparently some formality needed to verify the sale and it was missing. So the sale had to be conducted again that Monday. Okay. So at that time, a nearby factory owner who thought the practice was barbaric stated that if any of his workers took part in the sale, they'd be sacked. Unfortunately for the arranged buyer, Ike Duncan, he worked for that factory and he was unable to bid on her and a private sale couldn't be arranged. According to an article published in the Burnsley Advertiser, another gentleman offered to purchase Martha for seven shillings, six pence and a bottle of brandy. So that's about like 30 pounds today, plus a bottle of brandy. But she refused to be sold to anyone but Ike. So the sale was canceled. Still bitterly unhappy with having to be saddled with her husband, Martha lodged a complaint against him that Wednesday at the borough court and had him arrested for his, quote, long ill usage of her person. Yeah. So he must have, like, beat her and stuff. And I couldn't find anywhere if she was able to separate and remarry Ike Duncan like she wanted to. Oh, I hope so. Maybe I hope they, like, change their names or something. Yeah. So, as you can imagine, the very active wife selling captured the minds of Victorians of the day yeah, and was made famous by the book The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy that was published in 1886. In his story, the protagonist sells his wife before bitterly regretting it after the fact. Mm -hmm. Ballads were also written on the subject, such as the 1888 John Ashton collection of folk songs known as the Modern Street Ballads which included two songs about wife sales, Sale of a Wife and John Hobbs. Okay. In the song Sale of a Wife, it details the auction of a carpenter's wife, with the final buyer being a sailor. (laughs) Some of the lyrics are as follows. Oh, no. Dame, said a sailor, she's three out of four. Ten shillings I bid for her, not a screw more. He shook hands with Betsy and gave her a smack, and she jumped straddle legs onto his back. (laughs) Oh, God. She rode off into the sunset? What? On his back. Oh, my God. The song John Hobbs has a much more somber tone, detailing a failed wife sale in which no one wanted to buy the man's wife, Jane Carter, who was labeled a tartar or an ill-tempered person. Oh, too spicy. Too spicy. Too spicy for you white folks. The song continues with John attempting to hang himself with the rope that had been used to lead Jane to the auction. Okay. But it ends with her cutting him down and them rekindling their love with the lyrics. They settled their troubles like most married couples. John Hobbs, John Hobbs. Oh, happy shoemaker, John Hobbs. He likes spice. (laughs) I (laughs) like tartar. And also not choking to death. Yeah. Although the practice of wife selling was more common amongst those in rural communities or poorer areas of Europe, there are a few rare cases of this practice taking place amongst the middle and upper class. One such case is that of Henry Bridges, the second Duke of Chandos, which I have no idea where that is. I don't either. Should probably Google that. Sounds, it sounds fake. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't sound real. Most things in like England sound a little cattywampus. What was it? Chandras? Chandos. C-H-A-N-D-O-S. Oh, it's in like London. Okay. All I'm getting is Chandos tacos. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that too. I was like, that sounds delightful. Like, oh, tacos. (laughs) He was the second Duke of Tacos. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, marry him. Okay. (laughs) Ole. The Duke of Tacos. He smells like ground beef, but it's fine. Uh, it's only in California. Oh, we never, we never get good tacos. It's we fine. never get good tacos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Henry Bridges, the second Duke of Chandos, Condos, Condors, I don't know. <laughs> who bought a new wife named Anne Wells in Newbury at an inn called the Pelican for half okay. a crown, which is two shillings and a sixpence or 15 pounds today. Oh, it's not a lot of money. Yeah. He purchased her in the 1730s after he noticed her husband was being particularly abusive towards her. 
Okay. He had stayed at that inn while he was on his way to London. Okay. It's changing my mind a bit. You don't want to give the abuser a lot of money either. Yep. Since he was already married at the time, she became his mistress. And the two eventually married in 1744 once both of them were widowed. So I think her husband passed first and then his wife passed and then they got married and they ended up being together basically until they died. Oh, wow. So I wonder how they the spouses died. Hmm. Mysteriously, they smelled of almonds. (laughs) (laughs) One fell off their horse (laughs) quite suddenly. (laughs) So now that I've laid out the history of the practice, just like in our animal trials episode, I'm going to share some examples of sales that took place. Okay. And just how much the women were worth to their previous husbands. This is not going to be good. Yeah. So I found one sale noted in just one place. So take this with a grain of salt. Okay. But apparently there was a case in 1692 of a man named John Whitehouse selling his wife to a Mr. Bracegirdle, which is a lovely name. Mm-hmm. But there, no amount was disclosed. So take that as you will. Okay. In 1696, a man named George Fuller sold his wife to a man named Thomas Heath Maltster. Okay. But Thomas was later fined for living with his purchased wife, even though all parties involved had agreed to the sale taking place. Weird. So I wonder if like the other spouse had power or sway. And was able or I to... wonder if because it was still so early, if people were just like, no, that's still that's still bigamy. <laughs> yeah, that's too new. Too new, that's too new. <laughs> no. In 1733, Samuel Whitehouse sold his wife, Mary, to Thomas Griffiths for one pound or 244 pounds today. Okay. In 1756, a wife sale in Dublin was interrupted by a group of women who rescued the wife and had her husband placed in the stocks until the next morning, (laughs) which was kind of funny. Jeez. (laughs) They were like, piss off with that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. In July 1797, a wife was sold at Smithfield Market to a hog driver who purchased her for three guineas and a crown, which is 261 pounds today. That just sounds really scary. It does. To me. Like, I know that it has to be, like, the woman has to approve, but, like, that sounds terrifying. It just, as someone who's American and doesn't really understand British currency very well, the first time I read it, I just kind of read it as, like, he bought her for three guinea pigs and a little crown. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And the husband was, like, sold. I love these furry little creatures. Right. And this tiny, tiny crown. (laughs) I'm going to give one of them the crown. You are the king of the guinea pigs. You are the best one. (laughs) You're mommy's favorite. I mean, daddy's favorite. In 1814, Henry Cook was forced to sell his wife and children in Croydon Market for one shilling or two pounds to prevent them from being sent to the Effingham workhouse. So that's like the saddest one. Yeah. Where they were kind of, he had to sell them. Not. And one thing I didn't note in that huge history that I said before we started going through this is that most of the time, if... The wife had children from her previous marriage. The mm-hmm. children, the children would also be sold with her. Okay, so they wouldn't separate families. Correct, unless well, I mean, unless it's noted otherwise, the children. It should be assumed that any children she had came with her. That makes sense. Um, on February eighteenth, eighteen fourteen, a man named Samuel Wallace sold his nineteen-year-old wife of six months for a gallon of beer and a shilling, or two pounds. <laughs> okay. Made a mistake. Apparently six months was long enough to be like, I don't like you anymore. Hmm. Wow. In January of 1815, John Osborne's sold his wife and child for one pound or 96 pounds today to a man named William Surgent. In July 1815, a man purchased a new wife for 50 guineas and a horse, which is 112. 50 guinea pigs and a horse? And a horse. <laughs> Look at all these tiny furry guinea pigs. I just I just imagine all the guinea pigs running like behind the horse and like a line. They're like climbing over him and riding him. They're all like two by two and they're all like tied <laughs> together. <laughs> this is suddenly like a... Um, a parade. I, uh, a Mizaki film. Miyazaki film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With like all the, like those little, like. The little dust mite things. Little dust mite things are now guinea pigs and they're on a horse. 
<laughs> They're all squeak, squeaking and squealing on the horse. And the horse is just like, this is my life now. This is my yep. life. And the man was like, yep, this is way better than that woman. <laughs> I am so happy right now. This is so much better. <laughs> there was a case of a wife being sold in 1820 due to the fact that her husband had treated her so poorly for so long that the act of being sold was preferable to staying with him. Wow. Thankfully for her, the man who purchased her had been her lover for two years prior to the arrangement. Good. Hopefully she was happy. In 1822, a woman actually bought herself for three pounds. What? Or 390 pounds today in Plymouth when the man she'd been having an affair with never showed up to purchase her himself. Oh, so she still had to like go to that guy? It was like a to-go wife order? I don't know. She probably was just like, well, fuck you. I'm going to buy myself then. Yeah. Dick. Good, good for her. Get out. In 1824, a wife was sold in Manchester after several biddings in which she refused the potential buyers, and her asking price was knocked down from five shillings, or 14 pounds, to three shillings, which is nine pounds, and a quart of ale. Dang. In 1825, a woman in Yorkshire was sold for one pound, which is 96 pounds today, and one shilling, which is three pounds. Hmm. A woman living in Somerset in 1825 was sold for two pounds, or 191, and five shillings, or 15 pounds. Fun fact. I'm ready. At this time, corpses sold to medical colleges were sold for four pounds, which is 382 pounds today, and four shillings, or 11 pounds. So women were worth less alive than dead. Yeah, that checks out. Can't kind of, I'm not supposed to open up a live woman. Yep. For science. <laughs> <laughs> tends to be frowned upon. Please don't do that. Thank you. <laughs> but it's for science. <laughs> for science. In 1826, John Turton sold his wife Mary to William Kay for five shillings or 15 pounds. Upon Kay's death, she returned to her first husband and they ended up remaining together for 30 years. Oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> Welcome back. Oh, no. On June 2nd, 1828, John Savage purchased Mary Skinner at the George and Dragon pub in Tonbridge, England, from her husband, George Skinner, for one shilling or three pounds and a pot of beer. I just really like the name of that pub. The, the Dragon. The George and Dragon pub. Yep. Sounds pretty nice. I bet they had good ale. <laughs> I bet they did. Good beer. This next one's great. Okay. In 1830, a man in Wenlock Market started to back out of the sale of his wife, but she made him follow through with it. And she was eventually sold for two shillings and two pence, or seven pounds and 40 pence today. Jeez, she was that unhappy. She was like, like uh, no, we're doing this. <laughs> we're doing this. It's happening. I did not wear a collar <laughs> at eight in the morning for this to not happen. Carlisle in 1832 saw the sale of a woman for one pound or 96 pounds today and a Newfoundland dog. <gasps> That's the best one yet. Yeah. Although like I would have, I would have rather had the dog with my new marriage. Yeah. yeah. But the ex-husband got the dog. Yeah. Hopefully the ex-husband was good enough to deserve a dog. Yeah. Especially in Newfoundland. Yeah. In 1832, Walter, who was a sand carrier by trade, sold his wife at Cranbrook Market in Kent for one glass of gin, one pint of beer, and the stipulation that he could retain custody of their eight-year-old son. Oh. So that's why oh. I said, unless noted, the children would go with. Yeah, I wonder if she was a not-so-great mom. Or he was like, this is my son and my heir. I'm going to keep him. Yeah. Well, I, I hope for for the son's sake, he was a good dad. Or it could be too. Or like, married someone that like was good. Yeah. Well, and if he was a tradesman, chances are he wanted the extra help too. So yeah. that might have been why he wanted to keep his son. You're better than a guinea pig. You're with me. <laughs> <laughs> me I'm better than fifty guinea pigs? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's questionable. On April 7th, 1832, Cumbrian farmer Joseph Thompson sold his wife for 20 shillings or 115 pounds and a dog to a man named Henry Mears, but not until he'd called out all of her bad qualities, calling her a, quote, born serpent, as well as tell 
telling future buyers to, quote, avoid frolicsome women as you would a mad dog, a roaring lion, a loaded pistol and cholera. Whoa. And somebody gave that man a dog. They gave him a dog and 20 shillings for that wow. woman, for that born serpent of a woman. Born serpent. <laughs> somebody was like, I like danger. Give this dog. <laughs> he sounds fun. I like spice. At Bradford Butter Market in 1837, a man sold his wife to a delver, which is a ditch or quarry worker, for a sovereign or one pound, which is 96 pounds today. Hmm. 1839 saw another sale in Bradford Market Cross when William Farrar sold his wife at four in the morning to a man named Green for five shillings or 17 pounds and two shillings and six pence or eight pounds and 50 pence went to a Mr. Hainsworth who witnessed the exchange. I love that. Like I (laughs) at four in the morning, I sold my wife to a man named Green. (laughs) (laughs) what in 1841 in stafford market a wife was sold for 18 pence or four and a half pounds today and a quart of ale in 1847 william harwood purchased george ray's wife for one shilling or three pounds but unfortunately for him he took her previous husband to court a couple years later to contest the debt she'd accumulated during her first marriage, which had now become his debt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What? I don't think the guy won. Oh. I think he got saddled with the debt. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of serpent women. I don't have a spending problem, I swear. In 1849, in Ghoul Market, a wife was sold for five shillings and nine pence, or 23 pounds today. In 1859, in Dudley, a wife was sold for six pence, or two pounds. In 1862, a wife was sold in Selby Cross Marking for one pint of ale. Just a drink. Just a drink. And in 1863 in Wales, a wife was sold for two pounds and 10 shillings or 148 pounds plus half a sovereign's worth of drink. So a half pound's worth of drink. Like a a token. (laughs) Here's a drink token. Good luck. This one's crazy. In 1865, a wife was sold in Wolverhampton, Australia for 100 pounds or 6,000 pounds today. Okay. And 50 pounds for her children, which is 3,000 pounds today. This case is particularly interesting in that this wife and her three children were purchased by an American adventurer. But the woman regretted the sale and returned to her husband. The American was able to persuade the man by doubling the price. So the price that I listed before is is, is what the final price was. Okay. The American accidentally paid the man five pounds instead of 50 pounds and the husband tracked the american down to the train station with the help of police where the apologetic american paid in the correct amount after mixing up the two different pound notes (laughs) (laughs) what like how did that guy get away with involving the police if this was technically illegal i just he might have just been like this guy took off with my wife and my kids (laughs) you know what i mean like And then the American and his new family continued on to London while the first husband took his money to the nearest liquor vault. Awesome. But I love how like she was like, "Okay, yeah, cool. This is fine. Like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And the husband's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) This is a lot of money. So (laughs) I can buy a lot of alcohol with this. You just you just go. He's American. What is he going to do to you? It's fine. It's fine. He's an adventurer, honey. Have fun in the sea. Mm-hmm. In 1876, Mr. Clayton purchased the 26-year-old Mrs. Wells from her husband for a half gallon or four pints of beer. Mrs. Wells had been living with Mr. Clayton for the previous two years as his lover, and Mr. Clayton also offered to adopt their daughter, which Mr. Wells accepted for another pint of beer. <laughs> Mrs. Wells was so pleased that she bought her now ex-husband another half gallon or four more pints of beer, with the final sale of her and her daughter totaling a gallon and one pint of beer. So like nine glasses so, of beer. So strange. I, just, I know. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. 
1881, in Sheffield, a wife was sold for a quart of beer. In 1882, a wife was sold in South Wales for a measly glass of ale. In 1882 in Belfast, a wife was sold for one penny and a dinner. So she was sold for 30 pence. Oh, jeez. Like you can you can just feel the bitterness in like most of these deals. Yeah, it's like he basically just handed her over for free. Mm-hmm. That's like the one guy who was just like a glass of beer. Yeah. In 1894, a wife was sold in Battersea for nine gallons of beer. And in 1898, excuse me, a man sold his wife at the shoulder of mutton and cucumber in Yapton for seven shillings and six pence or 31 pounds today and a quart of beer. And even though the bulk of these stories were about wife selling, there are a handful of documented cases of husband sales. Okay, I'm ready to hear these. And this one is so bananas that I'm going to read the entire quote from the March 18th, 1814 edition of The Statesman. Okay. Because it's a wild ride. Okay, I'm ready. On Saturday evening, an affair of rather an extraordinary nature was brought before his lordship, the mayor of Drogheda. One Margaret Collins presented a complaint against her husband, who had left her to live with another woman. In his defense, the husband declared that his wife was of a very violent disposition, which her conduct before the magistrate fully proved that in her anger she had offered to sell him for two pence to her and whose keeping he then was, so basically to his mistress. Okay. That she had sold and delivered him for three halfpence, that on payment of the sum, he had been let off by the purchaser, that several times his wife, the seller, in her fits of anger had cruelly bitten him, that he still bore terrible marks of it, which he showed, although it was several months since he belonged to her. The woman who purchased, having been sent for to give her evidence, corroborated every fact confirmed the bargain, and declared that she every day grew more and more satisfied with the acquisition. (laughs) That she did not believe there was any law which could command him to separate from her because the right of a wife to sell a husband with whom she was dissatisfied to another woman who was willing to take up with him ought to be equal to the husband's right, whose power of selling was acknowledged, especially when there was a mutual agreement, as in the present instance. This plea, full of good sense and justice, So exasperated the plaintiff that, without paying any regard to his lordship, she flew at the faces of her antagonists and would have mangled them with her teeth and nails if they had not been separated. This is like ye old Maury. Pretty much. (laughs) I was just like, oh my God, this is like ye old Jerry Springer. Mm -hmm. Some crazy ass shit. Wow. So there's one case... That of a man who was sold to a German woman in 1869 for 10 pounds or 1,200 pounds today. It wasn't noted if he had previously been married or not because he was sold by another man to this woman. But it was noted that the man was a matchmaker. So we're not I'm not so I'm not quite sure if she was like purchasing her new husband from the matchmaker. I don't know. But I was like, all right. All right. Okay. Another case took place in 1888 when a man fell in love with a woman on his way to Australia. This lady returned his affections and wrote to his wife in England to see if she could purchase him. His wife originally asked for 100 pounds or 13,300 pounds today, but the pair settled on 20 pounds or 2,700 pounds today. This one was done legally so that the man could remarry his new bride in Australia. So actual documents were written up stating that this was a a formal dissolution of their marriage. And a court in Wolverhampton heard a case in 1888 of a husband who had been sold to another woman for five pounds or 665 pounds. But once the money ran out, his now ex-wife demanded he be given back to her. (laughs) Funny. An article was published in the 1893 edition of the New Hampshire Advertiser detailing a divorce case in which the wife had tried to sell her husband for a measly three half pence or basically 70 pence today. Oh, man. (laughs) And as a final note to this story, you know, the phrase that's entered during a marriage ceremony where the officiant will say, if anyone can show just cause why this couple cannot lawfully be joined together in matrimony, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. 
Mm -hmm. So this phrase came about because the clergy legitimately did not know if the people they were marrying were already married to somebody else. Oh, (gasps) that makes sense. So this was their way of checking before they went ahead and oversaw a marriage. Wow. So I thought that was a really fun fact to like close out this story about wife selling. Yeah, that's that makes so much sense. What a ride. Right? Some of them were bananas. Yeah. I still really wish that instead of guineas, it was guinea pigs. That would have just made the story even better. Mm -hmm. Especially 50 guinea pigs on the back of a horse. (laughs) If anybody can draw Miyazaki style, they should draw that and send it in. I'm picturing them kind of like, um, you know, the teens people who will do like the water skiing sports where they'll have like the pyramids Mm -hmm. of people. I'm picturing that with guinea pigs on the back of a horse, like a tower of guinea pigs. I'm just picturing the horse running and various guinea pigs like clutching for dear life, (laughs) like on his tail and his mane. And there's one with a crown at the top of his head. There's got to be one that's wearing a crown. The king of the guineas. King of the guineas. <laughs> Come, house husband. You are ours now. <laughs> you cannot ride the horse. It is for the pigs. <laughs> it is for the guineas only. <laughs> Hi, this is JC, host of Mission Spooky. And this is Kiki. Join us every other Tuesday as we teach you about historical sites in Pennsylvania and surrounding states. And we talk about paranormal subjects like ghosts, shadow people, magic, and cryptids. We also choose some of the more peculiar places and events of Pennsylvania to discuss as well. So please join us for some strange fun. And historical subjects wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So this week's podcast plug is the Mission Spooky podcast. Which is a really fun paranormal history podcast hosted by friends Kiki and JC, where they share creepy, peculiar, and strange slices of Pennsylvania. That sounds really fun. They also feature cool indie artists on their show and create their own Spotify playlist, so you can listen to the artists later, which is really cool. cool. And I was listening to a recent episode, and they're actually going to cover a lot of cryptids this year, which is awesome. Yeah. And the episode I listened to, they had a guest on. Did you know apparently there's a cryptid in Iowa? That doesn't surprise me, but no, I didn't know. It's called the... (laughs) It was a a town I had never heard of. The Van Meter Visitor. And apparently Van Van Meter is like outside of Des Moines. Okay. Oh, by Raccoon River. So if you like Google what this creature looks like... It looks like a pterodactyl. Yeah, he's like, (laughs) on this hardware store. Yeah. So I listened to that the other day and I was like, oh, my God, I had no idea that apparently Iowa had a cryptid. So that was pretty cool. That's really cool. If you like our show, but you also like a lot more paranormal stuff and like historical paranormal stuff, you should check out Mission Spooky. They update every other Tuesday and we'll include a link to their stuff in the show notes. Um, apparently in Burlington, Iowa, there were several dragons that flew over Iowa. Hmm, that's interesting. And they have something called a mugwump. A mugwump? Mm-hmm. Do you think the dragons were heading over to Ida Grove, where all the castles are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to get a blimpy sub from the gas station. <laughs> Or to go to that pizza hut that's in the moat. You remember that? Moat pizza. (laughs) I want my pizza with extra moat. (laughs) God. Awesome. No Ida Grove. You're so funny. Mm -hmm. So this week's listener question comes from Ariel of the Malice podcast. Okay. And she wants to know, would you rather look like Gilbert Gottfried or sound like him? Ooh, sound like him for sure. It'd be so fun because you would see my face and then I'd open my mouth and people would be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Why? (laughs) What about you? Probably the same because I don't have the best voice anyway. So it Mm -hmm. it would just be kind of like, wow, she's a crotchety old lady if I were to look like him. Yep. You know, so yeah, 
Mm-hmm. I'd rather have his voice. I would never again be able to uh, work any sort of sex hotline. Not that no. I ever have, but. I bet there's a niche for it. <laughs> People who get <laughs> off on Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> I mean, probably. It puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> <laughs> what are you wearing? Awesome. Oh, my God. Perfect. All right. All right. What's something good you'd like to share? Something good I would like to share. Uh, so I, I don't know. I know she listens to the show, but it's it's inconsistent. But my friend Erica, we have been each other's Valentine off and on for years because we were roommates for a long time. We've been friends for ages, but I don't live close to her anymore. So I sent her from Amazon one of those like reversible plushies that's like smiling and then you turn them inside out and they're angry. Mm-hmm. So I got her like a unicorn one and then I got her a box of like her favorite candy. Nice. And so she <laughs> got me, it's called the comfy and it's essentially like a hooded version of the snuggy blanket thing. Mm-hmm. And like the comfy actually has like a panda as a mascot. Aww. And it talks about like all the things you can do. Like you can walk your dog in it. It's like, I will never be seen in public <laughs> with this. Like essentially it's like a, it's like if a fleece blanket and a moo had a baby, but it is so nice. And I am cold all the time. So I'm going to wear it forever and ever. So that's, that's my happy thing was I got it and. I'm just, it's just so soft. It's so nice. So shout out to Erica for my comfy. What's your, what's your good thing this week? Mm. So last week I mentioned the futon that I got from my boss Mm -hmm. and I tested it out just to make sure it's not, you know, trash, (laughs) something where someone would sleep on it and be like, all of the bones in my spine are now broken. Right. It's actually super comfy. So that's awesome. 10 out of 10 would sleep on again. Awesome. So there's that. So when you have guests over, mm-hmm. they'll actually like not completely hate your house. Mm-hmm. I could sleep there. <laughs> yep. And you don't have to sleep on an inflatable mattress on the floor. So sounds good to me. Fun fact. I went out to go buy a fitted sheet for it mm-hmm. and I bought a flat sheet because I can't read, <laughs> which is such a me thing to do. Those are definitely not the same. And I was like, because I opened it and went to start like unwrapping it. And I was like, where are the gathered corners? <laughs> and then I like looked at the packaging and I was like, yep, I can't read. So <laughs> I have to take that back to Target later and be like, I'm okay. sorry. I must apologize for the fact that I can't read and yeah. I need a this is a perfectly good sheet. I didn't do anything to it other than realize it's not what I wanted and what and I need. put it back. <laughs> In my defense, I was rushing to purchase stuff before Thomas and my oldest got back from Wild Mountain so we could have dinner. I get that. We've all been there. Reading is important sometimes. (laughs) Reading is fun and necessary. (laughs) Necessary when you want to get the right thing. Mm -hmm. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We are also on YouTube. Fun fact, no one watches our videos on YouTube. So if you want to go on YouTube and like validate all the hard work that I'm putting into putting videos on YouTube, that would be swell. There's going to be like 40 some episodes that you can check out on there. If you include our little bonus episodes we've been doing every couple weeks. So go nuts. Check it out. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Yeah. Fun new thing. We have a P.O. box now. Yeah, that should have been the good news this week. Oh, I wanted to save it. No, but like for both of us. Oh, yeah. It's good news. <laughs> good news. So I don't have a fun jingle, but you can write to us at Yield Crime, P.O. Box 341. 341. In Wyoming. Wyoming. Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota. 55092. 55092. That's our jingle. <laughs> give us your stuff <laughs> so feel free to send us anything that is not illegal to send in the mail and preferably no, no haunted things thank you oh send haunted things i'll give them to maddie no. <laughs> find the world's tiniest haunted trampoline and send it to us that's a trick question there is no haunted trampoline <laughs> you're not allowed to jump on it it's just no. like curses your feet <laughs> 
just breaks all your toes. You just stand on it, no matter how much you try. <laughs> no matter how much you try to jump on it, nothing happens. Oh, so sad. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. A great way to support the show, full free, is <gasps> to leave a five-star rating and review. I heard those are really fun to make. Such as this one, which is Ooh. on Apple Podcasts from our friend Ishmael. It says spooky, then adorable, then spooky again. Five stars. You two have such great chemistry. It's insane to believe you two didn't like each other much. I may have only started at little boxes, but I'm honestly hooked. You two have created something very fun and unique and can't wait for more. Thank you. And yeah, we did really not like each other for a portion of our childhood. Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, like I was an angry toddler when you were a tween and yep. it was just not going to click for a little bit. We were just like oil and water or cats and water. <laughs> Oily cats and water. <laughs> Oily cats and water. Just honey badgers, not giving a fuck. <laughs> if you would like to support us financially, you can do so on buy me a coffee. Mm-hmm. Just give us like a one-time donation. If you would like to support us on more of a monthly basis, you can do so on our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. That's so cheap. And that will get you ad-free early access to all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. We also have a five, ten, and fifteen dollar tiers. You can also purchase merch on our T Public store. And there will be a sale <gasps> starting today when this episode Ooh. comes out. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday. Sale, sale, sale. February 24th to 27th, you can get $13 tees and 35% off everything in the store, including our newest designs, such as Death Grass. It's a really fun one. I really like the Death Grass. I do too. Mm-hmm. Not as like a thing, but as a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> as a design, not as an actual entity. Yeah. We don't approve of Death Grass. We don't support them. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.